This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Today on CityCast Denver. 2022 has been a year. 365 days, 12 months, four seasons. One heck of a good time. Or was it? Me and producer Paul Caroli are looking back at Denver's biggest wins and most epic fails of the year with our pals from Westward, Patty Calhoun and Connor McCormick-Cavanaugh. Plus, we've got some killer hot springs takes in the hotline voicemail that you're gonna wanna hear. Today is Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. So we're talking about the wins and fails of 2022 for Denver. I mean, this is going to touch on a lot of different topics. Um, I think we wanted to do this because we wanted to be able to celebrate the city as well as talk about some things that we clearly could improve or maybe we just want to be downright shaming of. Um, I think we could just get into it. Yeah. Paul, you wanted you wanted to go last, right? Are we starting with wins or fails? What, What would you prefer? I don't know. What do you guys think? Should we celebrate? Let's start with fails, because then we can end with wins. Okay. Yeah, positive for the new year. Yeah. I okay, that's, yeah. Nice. that's a good thought. Okay. Patty, what is your fail of Denver this year? I think the pers- the allowing the perception that downtown is dangerous and bad. It is not. I mean, we are down here right now. I go through downtown every day. I usually stop and misbehave somewhere in downtown. I was at the symphony took my 94-year-old mother to the symphony. It was fabulous on the Saturday. Play, downtown was packed. There was performances everywhere in the Denver Center. We have allowed the scenario that downtown is scary and dangerous to take over. And it's not the case. As someone who's been going downtown for 45 years, I can tell you a lot of it looks great and parts look bad and parts have always looked bad. Why are we clinging to this PR problem? Because I don't think the city took action early enough. We've had two different Mayor Michael Hancock um, speeches, one when he introduced all the mascots back in April, then another one when they said they were going to put more security by the convention center. There's no question that there are people roaming the streets, but it's not just in downtown Denver. It's in Aurora. It's in Lakewood. It's in Centennial. Hmm. Connor, I feel like you've covered this for many aspects and facets. What do you think about this? Yeah, I think there probably is like a bit of a pandemic hangover for for downtown. And I think downtowns across the country are seeing that pandemic hangover where, um, you know, maybe it's not quite as clean as it used to be. People do have that perception issue. um, And even though it's a perception issue and might not match the reality, I think the fact that there is that perception issue is a real issue. Um, and I don't think it's going to get solved with the current mayoral administration. I think you kind of need like a, a paradigm shift for, and that's going to take the the next mayor. And I want to add, that doesn't mean there, the city hasn't made problems downtown. I mean, if you go down there that you've lost parking, they're ripping up streets to replace uh, water lines, I think is the big thing right now. But there are inexplicable traffic snarls 
because of these projects that are going on. And that's on top of the mall, which we know had to be done, but even so. Connor, your fail. My fail is um, Denver. This is very topical right now. Denver not getting the World Cup. I had a feeling. I had a feeling this is going to be your fail. Go ahead. Go yeah. On. Um, so midway throughout the year, we found out that in 2026, um, when the U.S., Mexico, and Canada are jointly hosting the World Cup, Denver is not going to have hosting rights to any games, and that's just really sad. Um, watching the World Cup recently made me. It makes me remember every four years why it's such a special event and brings together so many cultures and so many different folks from across the globe. And if you look at the viewership numbers for the Super Bowl as compared to the World Cup, it's it's insane. It's like not even comparable. Um, it really is a global event. And um, Denver missed out on it. And, you know, who knows exactly why. I've heard that the presentation that the committee gave to FIFA, the Denver committee gave to FIFA, was pretty underwhelming. And um, because... I mean, how could you not sell Denver for an event like this? And Kansas City beat out Denver, which kind of adds insult to injury because, you know, that's a great soccer city in Kansas City. But um, it is kind of our our rival sports wise. Sure. And um, yeah, I mean, you look at the the viewership for the semifinal game when it was Croatia against Argentina and Denver was the top market in the U.S. for viewership. Oh, that's right. And so we've got the interest here is what you're saying. We've got the interest here. It's a very soccer crazy city. Um, there are a lot of USA fans. There are a lot of um, Team Mexico fans and there are a lot of fans. It's it's a diverse city too. And so, yeah, it's, it's just a damn shame. Before we jump, I would love to still jump back to you, Paul, really quick about FIFA because I think of you, you're the Olympics guy. Do you mm-hmm. think that we failed here? Uh, yeah, I think uh, that Denver failed. I mean, I don't know. Connor put it pretty well. I... I think Denver is cotton burned by these big events and there our leaders know that there is a substantial group of people that are not really big fans of like making huge concessions to make these events happen. And that's what FIFA wants. Like they're very demanding in how they want these events to go. We saw that in Qatar over the last month. And uh, I think I think that's the story is that Denver didn't make the concessions that they wanted to see. So we, we've got this history behind us yeah. that's still looming large over all of these leaders. I think also I, I've heard that other cities did a better job of like kind of working and promoting themselves in the media. I, I didn't feel like Denver promoted itself in the media at all. The committee, it was just like, hey, we're we're presenting privately to FIFA, but there should have I mean, you should have brought out. Um, you know, all these celebrities that we have, the Russell Wilsons, the Jokic's, the um, the Kill McCars, the Joe Sackicks, like John Elway, just bring out these these famous personalities and have them promote Denver. We didn't do any of that. Mm. And I think that, you know, that left less of an impact on FIFA because of that. They could have been standing in Empower Field where we're going to have another hundred million in improvements Good by point. the time this is put on. So just a missed, big missed opportunity all across the board. Yeah, it's a huge it would have been a huge um, moment for Denver, it's it's like huge in terms of economic impact, but then also just like, you know, the kind of like free PR that Denver would get globally would be um, like you couldn't put a price on that. Well, 
that gets back to PR, which is Denver has an image problem. Yeah, we do. It is it's lost its mojo or it's not able to project the mojo. And it used to be natural. People wanted to come here. It's beautiful. It was so far ahead for so many cities. And now we need to make a case again. And the city's not doing it. Paul, what's your fail? This was a tough. I had a much easier time thinking of big wins for the year, which I think is a great thing. I think we had a good year here in Denver. Um, my fail, though, is is a pretty substantial fail, and it's the Democrats uh, giving up on Tabor this year. I think this was the year the Democrats really stopped trying. And part of that is our governor, Jared Polis. He's never cared that much about Tabor. Uh, the rest of the party has been railing against it, I think, for the last... 30 years, pretty much, since it was implemented in 1992. Tabor, if you're not familiar, the Taxpayer's Bill of Rights. It's a multifaceted program started by this conservative tax policy guru, Douglas Bruce, out of the Springs. And it just mucks up the tax, the tax system in a billion different ways. It makes it harder to raise taxes, makes things a lot more complicated. And, uh, and Jared Polis decided this year to rebrand it and use it for his campaign to uh, help talk about how he has made Colorado a lot more affordable and how he's you know putting money back in people's pockets, which is all fine and well, but um, it's going to make it a lot harder to get rid of Tabor in the long run. I, I think uh, you know a, a, a big thing for listeners is the main thing about Tabor is that it requires um, voters to weigh in on any tax increases, and so um, it really constricts the the state legislature um, and local legislatures that haven't um, voted to kind of get rid of Tabor's restrictions and in, in raising revenue. Um, but so I think one of the reasons why Democrats wouldn't have wanted to go after Tabor this year is because they saw themselves as, which many people did nationally, as, as vulnerable. Because mm, this was prior to midterms. So. Prior to, yeah. So if you, if you go after Tabor, um, which, you know, Colorado is still a state where for being, I'd say, blue now, it's still um, pretty anti-tax across the board relative to its blue status. And so I think it, it, they might have seen this as something that could hurt them in elections. Bree, how about you? What's your fail? We commemorated 10 years of the urban camping ban this year. What an absolute mess total embarrassment for this city. If you look around, we have not improved anything for our unhoused neighbors. If anything, we've made it worse. The fact that this has been going for 10 years is just unfathomable to me. Um, in 2019, there was a grassroots effort to overturn part of that um, with the right to rest. And uh, that group, uh, the right to survive, I'm sorry, Initiative 300, they had about $90,000 in support and they went up against 2.3 million in opposition for folks that did not want to touch the camping ban. They, and it, and it, it, that measure failed miserably. 80, I think 80 over 80% of Denver voters did not want to overturn the camping ban. But I think a big part of that was the messaging. This giant group, Together Denver, got to spend $2.3 million on mailers, on commercials to say, oh, this would be terrible for us. And I don't know. It's it's continued to divide the city. It's continued to show how little we actually want to do to support the housing crisis. And I I think it's going to be the black mark on uh, Mayor Hancock's 12 years in this administration. Patty, what do you think? 
I think there are going to be other black marks on the administration. Sure. But the fact you're right that the fact that we have not gotten any further with the homeless situation, with helping people, when you think about how much money has been spent over the last 10 years, we just now have the housing first uh, attitude. We'll see if that's going to help or hurt. But 10 years, it's bad everywhere, but it's very bad in Metro Denver. Connor, you've been covering this. I mean, on the ground, talking to folks. Uh, what do you What do you think about that ten year mark? Yeah, I, I mean, I just don't. I, I don't think that camping ban, like um, sweeping people and moving them along, like it that it helps people get into better situations. It's more just. I mean, it is like a band aid. It's it's the city saying we don't want to look like we're just allowing camping on the street, and so we're just going to have these people who are in location A, we're going to move them and they're going to move to location B. And then after a couple of weeks, we're going to move them to location C. And so it is kicking the can down the road. And I think the city, well, people in the city did already recognize some of them that it wasn't, you know, a solution by any means. I think more and more they're, they're realizing that it's not, it's not necessarily not just a solution. It's also potentially like exacerbating right. issues for um, people who are living on the streets because um, you're going to have a worse relationship with um, city workers, with service providers. And um, it's, I mean, it's traumatic and it kind of like, it, it leads to upheaval in your life. And so then you're you're much less likely to- um, Get out of to, it. Yeah, get back on your feet. Yeah. Paul, I know that you've um, volunteered in shelters. You've seen a side of this that's really conflicted you over the whole thing. What do you think about this 10-year mark? Hmm. Uh, not much. I mean, I think the we're going to get a new mayor next year and we're going to talk about what to do about this camping ban. But I, mean, I don't know. The fact that the people of Denver voted so overwhelmingly to keep it two years ago or three years ago now, yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to change. I mean, if I was running for mayor, I would I would probably be for keeping it just for that reason just on the politics of it. Like, I think it'll be, it's a, that's going to be a pretty hard sell. Like someone's going to have to really explain like why and what their, what their different proposal is. It'll be interesting to hear how people talk about that. I agree. I, I, well, I don't think that anyone is going to have, um, like the courage and political toughness to say, I'm going to, when they actually do get into office, if they've run on, I'm going to overturn the camping ban. I, I think they might kind of like moderate their opinion or their perspective once they get into office. I think it's, um, like you said, it's a lot of people voted in favor of keeping it. And then also, um, yeah, once you become mayor, things change. Your, uh, your values have to kind of adapt to the office. So that was our fails. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And then we will be back with our wins for Denver in 2022. So we're back. We're talking about the wins, the the good things, the cool stuff, the exciting parts about being here in Denver, the things that we can celebrate. Uh, Connor, let's start with you. What's your win? My win is the e-bike rebate program. I was really hoping you were going to do this. Huge. Huge W. Um, great win. So this program went live on Earth Day of this year, and um, it took voter-approved uh, sales tax revenue, and it earmarked it for e-bike rebates. And um, yeah, it just it was like 
it was insanely popular. Um, they had to stop accepting applications after a couple weeks because so many people were excited about these rebates and getting e-bikes. And um, yeah, I mean, the whole point is to get fewer people driving and more people biking around town. And it kind of like bridges the gap for people who don't necessarily want to commute via a regular bike all the time, um, but don't want to drive. So there's this kind of in-between. And there have been periodic um, releases of more rebates ever since they paused it. Um, it's $3 million program over three years. And it's just going really well. And I've seen more and more e-bikes pop up around Denver, which Same. is- Same. I've you, seen them you've seen cruising them. through intersections. I'm like, whoa, that person's going, oh, they're on an e-bike. Yeah. Awesome. Office of Climate Action, Sustainability, and Resiliency. They crushed it this year. Yeah. They sure did. I agree. I would have to say, talk about resilience. I want to talk about the cultural institutions from individuals who are making art and managed to survive the pandemic and not lose their creative edge all the way through the big cultural organizations which have survived makes it a good city. So outdoors and indoors, you've got life. So was art your big win this year? Well, you see what Meow Wolf did, which was a huge success year before, much more so. But then you see other smaller immersive events that came up in people's houses, in coffee shops. So people started expanding the definition of what art could be. You have musicians who went out and have done a lot of fundraising and support for other musicians, which is important. You see the street murals that survive even with the corporatization of outdoor art. And you still have people out creating great art and commenting politically on the scene with their art. So I have to say from big to small, that's one of the things you want to celebrate in Denver. Okay. Uh, Paul, do you want to share your win? I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. I will probably post my full list of big <laughs> wins uh, when this episode goes live. I have a lot. There are so many. E-bikes is on my list too, Connor. Same. Nice. Um, but I think I think you got to give it up to Kim Cordova and the UFCW Local 7. She leads that union and they represent over 8,000 King Supers workers who went on strike in January. And after a two-week strike, won pay raises and increased workplace protections. That was a huge story for us this year on the show. And uh, looking back at the year, I, I think that was no bigger win, no bigger win than going on strike, standing in solidarity with your coworkers and winning and more money from your boss. These are folks that went through hell during the pandemic. You want to talk about frontline workers? Mm -hmm. I heard from some grocery store workers what they were experiencing during that time. It was total chaos. They stuck through it. And then they continued to fight for themselves after that. I think absolutely, incredibly huge worker power. I, I love this story for Denver. Yeah, they were on the front lines of the, you know, the people who had to tell customers to wear <sighs> masks, which which was, an, sounds like it was a nightmare. Like you had people yelling at them, threatening them. And um, yeah, so they, they really went through it. And it's, yeah, it's a huge win. Bree, how about you? What's your big win of the year for Denver? The STAR program expanded again. Uh, support Team Assisted Response is a uh, it's an it's a facet of our public safety in terms of um, it pairs a mental health clinician and a paramedic to go out on nonviolent, uh, mostly mental health calls that that they get to nine one one. It started in twenty twenty with a two hundred thousand dollar grant, and then um, they got one point four million this year uh, through the 
the city budget to expand their services. And then they got another $2.3 million to partner with Servicios de la Raza to connect directly with the Spanish-speaking community and to do more of a continuum of care, like not... The idea is to connect with someone in a mental health crisis and then hopefully get them off the street or out of that situation so they don't have to be um, helped by STAR again. Um, the thing that I would love to see in the future is uh, this year, the um, city's annual budget for the Denver Police Department, Sheriff's Department, Fire Department, and Public Safety was $567 million. So what if we gave $100 million of that to STAR and allowed them to expand to 24-hour services in every neighborhood? I think we could fundamentally change the way this city looks from a humanitarian perspective. So I'm glad that we've embraced it. Um, it's a pretty radical thing, to be honest with you. Not a lot of cities have this kind of program. So I'm really proud of us for not only piloting it, but then supporting it and continuing to support it. Yeah, I think this one's really interesting because like uh, in the wake of the George Floyd protests in 2020, there was a lot of calls for police reform. And I think the narrative around that has been that those have kind of fizzled. But here's an example where we've seen some real change that everybody seems to agree on. I think it's only going to be a bigger and bigger part of our uh, public safety conversation going forward. Yeah, if you if you think about a lot of the tragic incidents where police have been called to kind of like mental health crises in Denver and elsewhere in Colorado, um, where um, it's a person who's having kind of a mental breakdown and most reasonable people recognize that if police hadn't been called and it had been, you know, say star involved, it could have been a totally different outcome people wouldn't have been killed. And um, so I think hopefully we just continue to see the results in that regard. Yeah, that was the conversation around Clear Creek County with um, un- the unfortunate Glass. murder of Christian Glass. Mm-hmm. He called and specifically asked for help, just support. I'm I'm calling 911 on myself, I need help. And there was a lot of talk of if they had a support program like STAR, this maybe could have saved him. I think another one over a decade ago, there was a gentleman named Paul Childs whose mother called the police because he was having an episode and he ended up getting um, murdered as well. So yeah, if we think of it as another aspect of how we reform police, I think that might be a good selling point for folks who may still be a little bit skeptical. Four okay. big wins. Yeah. I, I think we have a lot to celebrate surprisingly (laughs) yeah it is kind of surprising it's been a bleak few years (laughs) with the pandemic but this was a good one i think on on measure well patty paul connor thank you so much our pleasure thank you thanks brie and here's what else denverites are talking about hot springs Hi, this is Jonathan Godis, uh, the mayor of Glenwood Springs. I was just told from several people that uh, people should give me a call and say that they heard my great town on FitCast. So I uh, just want to say I got the message and uh, I listened to the podcast and we have two great hot springs and looking forward to anybody who wants to come and visit us this winter and they'll have a great time. Thanks a lot. Hi, CityCast Denver. This is your devoted listener, Bailey Rhodes. <laughs> Now that you all have done the Hot Springs episode, um, I like Orvis the best. In uh, It's outside of Telluride in Ridgeway, and it's clothing optional. Um, and it has, like, it's in between outdoors and indoors. Like, it has the changing rooms and, like, the nice necessities. But then the actual Hot Spring has, like, a gravelly floor. Hey, City Cast Denver. 
This is Matthew in Denver calling, and uh, thanks for the Hot Springs episode. I just wanted to put three others on your radar uh, that uh, I think you should share because they are probably within the top five in uh, Colorado. Uh, one is which uh, is a hole in the wall, hole in the wall, hole in the ground called Penny Hot Springs between Carbondale and Redstone, Colorado. Just a mile up the road from Penny Hot Springs is a place called Avalanche Ranch, which has really nice developed hot springs that are natural. Uh, and then you could rent cabins. And then the final one is called Orvis Hot Springs, which is in Ridgeway. Uh, it's kind of at the end of the road on the way to Telluride. All right, thanks. Keep doing what you do. Love it. Bye. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell FIFA president Johnny Infantino about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back next week with something really fun that I think you're going to like. See you then. I'm the era of the hotline. I grew up with the commercials where everything was a hotline. (laughs) I love it.